ATN World News. News and inspiration with Leah Tillock. Hello and welcome to ATN World News. I'm Leah, and it's great to be with you, the audience around the world. Today, we're with an ATN World News teammate, our friend Richard Shaw. You know, Richard Shaw is a great film producer. Um, you've known a lot of his works like The Watchers and The Torah Code, uh, and he's done so much more than that. Um, today is an interesting topic. What's trending on Netflix today is a movie called Patient 17, and it's about someone who'd received a weird kind of chip implant. Um, this happens more often than what you know. This is happening to a ton of people. They're having a chip implant. It shows in x-rays. Um, they can uh, hear it. Uh, when, when they put uh, sound waves over it, uh, the machines that they have today. Some people receive pain from it at certain times, and there are certain doctors, very few, that will take it out. It has been uh, analysis on it. Um, doesn't look like it's necessarily anything that would be created here. Um, it's It's... It's amazing when you get into it, but the person who really started that with Patient 17, uh, what the who the program calls Emil, uh, was a friend of Richard uh, Shaw's, and Richard helped him by introducing him to Dr. Lear, who at the time was taking this out of patients. So, with all that info, I'm going to say good afternoon, Rick. Well, good afternoon, Leah. It's really uh, a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Yeah, it's awesome to have you and people. Uh, Rick is, is a good friend of mine, and he is so rich at, in knowledge. He's laughing, okay, but he is so rich in so many different fields of knowledge of, of different topics and aspects that when I get someone like this on, I like to just let them talk. But uh, I'd like to ask if you could uh, tell me a little bit more about how you started off with the meal and, and help, as they say, patient number 17. Well, I'd be happy to. Um, originally, uh, we moved into a house in Porter Ranch, California. And when we did that, the agency came in. We thought we would rent for a while and see if we liked it here. And... So the agency calls me up and said that they needed to send someone out to check a smoke alarms because it was a, a law in California that before, uh, you know, they could clear the house and everything that all the smoke alarms had to function. I said, great, send the guy over. So uh, it's like 11 in the morning, if I remember right. And this guy knocks on my door and I go down and it's, it's this big, tall dude. He's like six foot seven real friendly guy and he could just you know he's so tall he could just kind of reach up and pull the smoke alarms and check the batteries and they all worked so he comes up into my studio where I'm, I'm shooting right now and said oh wow you got a lot of equipment up here what is it you do and I said well I'm currently directing a series called Watchers with L.A. Marzulli and uh, he said what's it about and I said oh it's, a, a, it's, it's kind of a paranormal show <laughs> It's a lot of fun. I told him, you know, it has like uh, the Torah codes, the Shroud of Turin, 
giants, aliens, UFOs, alien implants. And he goes, oh, I love UFOs. So I happen to have a, a Watchers 1 up there. We hadn't done Watchers 7 yet. And I just gave it to him. And then he looked right at me and said, I have an implant. <laughs> so this isn't something uh, most people tell me, although when they realize what it is I do, I get some really incredible stories told me sometimes. And I have to analyze them to see if this person's serious or not. And I said, well, look, uh, all of his, when I asked him questions that I would ask someone that says they have an implant, he answered them all very factually, I thought. So I said, look, this was back in 2013. I, I said, you know, uh, if you think you have one, then go get an x-rayed, if you know where it is, and send me the x-rays, and I will give it to my friend, Dr. Roger Lear, who is a really, really good friend of mine. And he's like the world expert on this subject. And, and really, I have to tell you, Leah, that when uh, L.A. Marzulli introduced me to Roger way back in 2010, I was highly skeptical of the whole thing. It just it made no sense to me that this this could actually be possible. It, it, you know, what are these things really in people's bodies? But when I met Roger and saw the work that he had done, and he put one in my hand to examine. It's in a little plastic vial. I began to be convinced, and then the more we looked at these things ourselves, I, I realized this is the real. This is a real experience people are having. You can't ignore it. I mean, it's you can X-ray it and see these things. So uh, I get this uh, about a you no know, week to ten days after we had talked. I get this uh, uh, JPEG emailed to me of an X-ray of of we call him Bill in the show because at that time it was important for us to preserve his identity. But when the other film came out, Patient Seventeen, the, the, the whole the whole secrecy deal went out the window. <laughs> so I think I can talk more openly about it now. But his real name is Emil, and I said, okay, I'm going to send this off to Roger. Well, Roger immediately goes, well, it looks like the real deal to me. <laughs> So I, I made a deal with Bill, we call him Bill on the show. I said, look, I want people to know that this isn't just baloney. And I'd like to film this. And I had already talked with L.A. and got his agreement on this, that the two of us would pay for all the expenses if he'd let me uh, take him through the steps to, to find out what this thing is, to find out if it's really an implant or not. And if it is, and if he wanted it removed, then we would pay for the surgery. So that's how all that started. So in Watcher 7, in our series, is the process of testing this at Roger's offices. And we went in there and we used all this equipment on it, and it, it registered almost 7 milligauss of flux density. And this is a tiny little thing. It was like six millimeters long, about the thickness of a pencil lead, and it was putting out all of this magnetic information. Plus, it was putting out a radio signal. Uh, it made the stud finder go off naturally because it's made out of metal. It's a metallic object. So we had all of that. So the next stage was we were going to take this to get an infrared signature of it because we had done four X-rays. It appeared in all the X-rays. 
We even paid to have a CAT scan, CAT scan done where they basically it's a machine that scans that part of your body and makes little images on a big sheet of paper of, of depths of it. Like it's like slicing through a, like making a bologna sandwich. And it looks like uh, each little different layer of your skin is presented in a separate image. And we could see the implant in like four or five of those slices. So we knew it was in there. We knew where it was. We knew how far away from the bone it was and all of that. So we went to see Dr. Matriciano, who is a friend of Rogers and who's a surgeon. And he used an UltraScan machine on it. And what UltraScan is, it's a, it, it's, it uses sound waves and it, you put a little gel on the skin so it will slide across your skin without bumping around. And it appeared like in about a minute or two. You could see it right on the screen there. So uh, Roger said, okay, um, and let's give me, he said, I just need a week or two to put some people together that, that I know would like to be here to see this thing removed and examined. So we said, fine. So Ellie and I um, set up the whole deal and, and agreed to pay the surgical expenses and uh, ran cables, put a monitor out in the, in the lobby so people could watch the surgical procedure and all of that. And then Roger asked if uh, uh, this guy who was uh, another filmmaker could also be there to film it. And I said, well, it's a really tiny room, Roger. I don't know if, if we can, you know, jam another guy in here with a camera or not. But if you really want to do it, okay. So um, the other guy's name was Jeremy Corbell, who produced the film uh, Patient 17, which is currently up on Netflix. Well, our agreement was that I would share my footage with him and he would share his footage with me. That's what we did. And when I created Watchers 8, which shows this thing being surgically removed, I gave everybody a credit at the end of film who did everything. I'm very a stickler on crediting people that had an active role. And so he was like second camera on the project. And I credit him for that. But in his film, there's not a mention of Pinlight or L.A. Marzulli or me. <laughs> and we actually made it possible for him to do his film because we paid all the expenses. So, you know, that happens out here. I mean, you know, it's, it's unfortunate when it does. But I'm not in any competition with this guy or anything like that. But we, we did, you know, L.A. and I... Uh, when we make these films, we pay for them out of our pocket. If we didn't do so good on the previous film, then we can't make a film quite as in-depth the next time because we don't have enough money. Uh, fortunately, Watcher 7 was one of our most favorite. Everybody loved it so much that it did well enough where we could afford to pay for Watchers 8. But right at that point, when we were doing Watchers 8, we lost three of our distribution partners. One of them passed away and the other two had reorganizational problems. <laughs> so Watchers 8 was kind of a, uh, a loss leader for us, but I'm glad we did it anyway because it has a lot of really incredible information, including the surgical removal procedure of taking the implant out and then testing it at the lab, <laughs> which we also paid for, by the way. So that's all about the implant, Leah, unless you have any other questions about, which I'm happy to answer. Well, excuse me. 
I've been coughing. <laughs> I'm going, oh my goodness, this is a nightmare. I'm coughing. I'm having yeah. some kind of cough. So let me say this. Um, yeah. When the scientist, who was also a patient himself and had a couple of implants removed, um, Steve, <clears throat> um, but still has one implant that's more in the brain, uh, he has uh, several implants that he studied. Um, it was documented that it had like far more than 20 components in this chip. And that there, if he had the money, he could study even further. Which but chip are you referring to? The one that was taken out of Emil. Oh, um, yeah. well, but I the, can tell you about that. I mean, he said it's highly unlikely that anything from here in, in this earth and dimension would have like 20, more than 20 different ones in the chip. Uh, he thought it was more of computer nature. But go ahead. You said you had a little bit more to share on that. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know where. Uh, I'm assuming you're quoting uh, Jeremy's film, Patient Seventeen. But in, in reality, the way that these things are studied, what we first of all, we take the whole chip out, and there's a, a kind of a gray coating that surrounds it. And uh, Steve, who uh, was our resident scientist on the project, uh, is a good friend of mine, and he cut it open with a scalpel and this little implant kind of flowed out from inside. This is something that we know in the past and other implants, they somehow are in this little coating. Uh, and sometimes inside of the coating is a, a tiny bit of kind of amber colored fluid and it kind of floats in there and somehow nerves are able to get inside of that. Now, don't ask me how, I mean, it's, it's beyond our technology. So then we, we take that uh, implant itself and we put it on a piece of, it's really kind of like double sticky conductive tape that fits on a post that's made out of aluminum and that goes into the SEM, the, the um, scanning electron microscope, into a chamber. You close the door on the microscope and uh, a motor starts up and sucks all the air out of the compartment because you can't have any oxygen in there when you're doing scanning because it's done at high voltage. So the first thing we see when we when we look at it is the whole implant. And it was kind of a weird-looking, kind of a boomerang-shaped little object, uh, very of a crystalline nature. It was metallic. Uh, if you zoomed in on it, you could see chunks of these metallic crystals in it. Um, and the only way you can look down inside of that is if you really uh, use a real high order of magnification on it. You're, you're talking 10 or 20,000 times uh, normal, and that's beyond what an optical microscope will do. But since you're, this whole thing is being operated by computer, uh, you can put the cursor over the part of the image that you want to examine, and when you do that, there, there's two monitors up. On there's the left monitor has the visual image of what the object looks like. The right monitor is basically uh, the output of the elements that the the sample is made up from. It's like, and it's all like in abbreviations from the periodic chart of the elements. And that second monitor is the EDX display, and that stands for Energy dispersant X-ray spectroscopy. 
<laughs> I know it's a mouthful, but essentially what you can do when you put the crosshairs over any portion of the sample that's in the SEM chamber, it will give you a graph and read out what that chip is made out of. Now, it's not going to tell you what's inside of it. It's just going to say, okay, it's, you know, uh, it's, you know, 65% iron, it's 38% uh, nickel, it's, you know, it's, there's some titanium in there and some platinum, there's some oxygen. Uh, it just depends what it is that you're looking at. If, if you happen to slide the cursor over what looks like a nerve ending, in our case, it registered 99% carbon, which we know is, is human tissue. And we got all those readings. So it, it's not so much that the, the implant had all of these characteristics. It's just that it depended where you took the sample of the implant, what you were going to see. Um, but in the past, there's been implants where both Roger and Steve have assured me they've found carbon nanotubes in them. And that's really hard to find because carbon nanotubes are, at the atomic level, are really, really small. It kind of would be like uh, going to a football field and taking an aerial photo of the whole play, playing area and trying to find a postage stamp. That's kind of what we're looking at here. Or being inside the Goodyear blimp and finding a valve cap off of your car's tire. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about. So it, it's almost like if you find it, it's almost random chance. But there's a, a new method, and Steve and I were talking about this. If we had more money, we would do this. But essentially, it's using a, it's an, a, a method that, that they kind of refer to as an atomic laser. And what it can do, it can take an element and it can make an incredibly thin slice of it. And then you put that in uh, a solution of acid. And the acid eats away all of, of the metal and leaves whatever's left. And if what we think it would show us is a network of carbon nanotubes, carbon nanostrings, and maybe buckyballs or whatever else that's in there, both conductive and semiconductive components that are used to make some kind of a device. And we think that that's what these implants have inside of them, is basically a three-dimensional uh, computerized network of components that are so small that even when you just use an SEM, it's incredibly hard to find. Does that make any sense to you, Leah? Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> this, <laughs> you I know, know this is highly technical, but it's yeah, but really what we've been talking about. We're well, really nerdy people, I guess. Uh, no, no. Ad. What you say makes sense to me. Look, it says, um, the scripture says, the end of days. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There was all kinds of weird stuff happening in Noah's day. Uh, hybrids made from demons and humans. Uh, I mean, all, all kinds of uh, things. The veil is lifting uh, between this world and the next, between demonic activities. Uh, I think the great delusion is being set up. But people are being chipped. I know some may be from the government, but some may be from Nephilim, some may be from demons. But, uh, eh, you know, God encourages us to be watching and to be learning and to be, uh, he said it's an honor for us uh, to find out the thing that the 
that uh, kings know about uh, to search out. And definitely uh, Rick has done this, and he's teamed up with Marzulli, and they've been searching out. You can't deny evidence, uh, what you're seeing with your own eyes, what's being tested today. And as the money comes along, they can do advanced testing, as Rick said, with the slicing. So important information here. I think it ties in spiritually uh, with scripture that uh, we talk about today for the end of days, and I think that it's got the intelligence of uh, science on it. And so I think Rick spoke it very well. And Rick mentioned that uh, he was going to um, bring up a few more items. And I think that gross surgery on the back, if you might be freaking out my audience, <laughs> you may want to take the video and move it a oh, little further. Oh, it's the surgery on. of the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's the I just, surgery. I, I just think people are going to be staring at like, oh my gosh, look at that leg. No, I mean, you, can, you may take the video and push it a little bit further down the line. And then um, go ahead and talk to us about, uh, you said you got some new things that you're doing and stuff's going on. So oh, I'll let yeah, you have well, at just it. Briefly, I just wanted to get a plug in for our latest video and probably the last watchers will ever do it. it I really like this film because we, it's the best of watchers. It's everybody's favorite segments from the 14-hour series itself, and including uh, what I was able to do is, like for the implant story, the implant story originally was in Watcher 7 and 8, and it, it's, it, it bridged both of those films, so you'd have to buy both movies to see the whole story. Well, I combined them in the best of watchers, so... It's just one segment. You can watch it now all the way through. And then, it, it's, you know, people love the Shroud of Turin, and they love the Torah Codes, and uh, the Skulls and Stones from Peru, the Giant of Kandahar, um, the Catalina Cover-Up. I'm just reading you the, the titles here. The Combergas UFO, which, which I analyzed from footage Roger gave me before he passed away. Uh, the Abduction of Captain Robert Salas which is really an incredible story. Um, the Black-Eyed Children, which looks like a segment right out of X-Files. And then finally, the director's cut of Howard Storm and his near-death experience, which is really super powerful with new visuals and, and a longer cut that has more of his story in it than the, even the original did that came from Watchers 4. I went back and recut it, and I think it's much better now. So that's that's what's in this film. But as far as new projects, uh, we're working right now with uh, brokers to help get these funded, Leah. These, these are basically pin light projects that I'm doing on my own independently. One of them is a project uh, about Israel, which I can't really go into because it's, it's kind of confidential. But it is an Israel project that I'm really excited about. Part of it is an exploration under the city of Jerusalem. I'll leave it at that. And also in Qumran, those two areas. And then the other project that I'm working on with the help of Dr. Jeffrey Long is a movie on the near-death experience. But it won't be like anything you've ever seen before. I mean, it's going to be at a high level using Hollywood-level effects and all of that. It's gonna. It's not gonna be kind of like the the typical cheesy, out of body experience movie. It'll be really cool, and there'll be some uh, 
life and death scenes in it. And all of these are real experiences. We're not going to just fake something out. We're going to use people's actual experiences. And Dr. Jeffrey Long is probably, I don't know, I consider him the like one of the few world experts on the phenomena. And he has a website that has now well over 4,000 near-death experiences that people have set in. And so we have to analyze those, but I've already picked a few that are really astonishingly great. And he just wrote me this morning. He's behind me 100% on this. So he's my consultant in the film. So that's uh, to help, hope that answers your question a little bit, Leah, on what, what I'm doing. Well, uh, where can people uh, get your uh, recent DVD? Can you share that? Sure. If you go to pinlight.com, uh, you can see the um, trailer for it, for the best of watchers. And above that is a trailer for what we recently completed, which I helped L.A. Marzulli with. It, it basically was a symposium on the uh, elongated uh, skull people from Peru. And I did a short video on that, which is free. You can just watch it on my website. But uh, if you want the whole uh, conference, it's now available. It's like two hours and 45 minutes. You can, if you click on that stuff, it'll take you to Marzulli's page, and you can order anything you want from him. But, but basically, uh, the research that we've been doing on the elongated skull people uh, it's it of course it's one of Marzulli's pet projects that he's always been interested in is the giants, and the two of us have been working on this since 2013, and we've been to Peru. I've been there three times. I think he's been there four or five times, and uh, what we're doing is actually looking at these skulls and examining them in ways that haven't been done before. We've set off 50 DNA samples from. Uh, oh, I don't know, you know, how many skulls finally were, were sampled, but it's probably close to 20, I would imagine, altogether, if not more. And these samples were sent to three genetics labs and tested, and the results are really incredible that most of the results that came back to us, uh, the mitochondria DNA had its origin in the Middle East. And all of these skulls were from South America. And most of the uh, skulls, the mummies that we've looked at that still had hair attached to them, uh, was not black like the people of Peru are. It was uh, reddish or reddish blonde hair. Isn't that fascinating? So, Well, well it, is, <laughs> it is actually because most of the elongated skulls, uh, they do have the reddish uh, hair. And to me, well, this is just me. I'm going, well, that's Nephilim. Uh, because most of all the elongated skulls, it's, they're mostly all reddish hair. If it, if it does have hair that still uh, exists on it. So yeah, you know, uh, that doesn't surprise me that it had that, but it is interesting that you verified the origins and um, different regions. Yeah, that, the origins yeah. were mostly from Turkey, uh, the Fertile Crescent, uh, the Levant, and that particular area, which is pretty much what you know, the biblical account says. But we also didn't find evidence of giants per se, but we did find these heads that are 
just huge and enormous. In fact, I was able to actually film one of the largest skulls in the world at the Ica Museum. They actually took it out of its case for me and and they let me film what I wanted to do. And what, what we've discovered through some of our contacts, uh, uh, we, we have uh, an anthropologist and we have uh, uh, two uh, archaeologists. Well, actually, one one doctor that has studied this, as as well as a chiropractor who really knows bone structure. The, I, here's what I thought was interesting, Leah, and I don't want to exceed our time here, but what's really fascinating is that the scientific community would have you believe that all of these skulls were created because of cradle headboarding, which they put an infant on a piece of wood and they smash its head, you know, with a clamp. And they do this for two and a half to three years to get the skull to expand. Well, okay, granted, some of them were probably created that way. And, and we can pretty much tell which ones were and which ones weren't by the looks of the indentations in the skulls. But that doesn't explain why the foramen magnum is moved clear to the occipital area of the head or why the uh, foramen ovalis are in different places on a human skull. Now, I know this gets really kind of medically technical, but essentially the foramen magnum is the opening where the uh, spinal column goes up into the skull and all the nerve endings go up into the brain. Well, on an elongated skull, that opening is way moved back to the back part of your head and is almost perfectly round. And on a human head, the foramen magnum is more of an oval shape and larger and right in the middle because our heads aren't elongated. And so for us, we're in balance that way. If on an elongated skull, if that had been the case, they would always be like forcing their head into a position where they're comfortable walking around. You see what I'm saying? So uh, there's that, and we've known about that for some time, but uh, Dr. Warren came up with some really intriguing information at this conference where he said that it's the foramen ovalis that he thought was interesting. Now, what that is, the, the foramen ovalis are these little openings like at the bottom of the skull where all of this kind of rough bone uh, segments are, there are tiny openings. And that's where nerve endings and blood vessels go up through to get into your cheeks and, or, you know, the musculature around your face and all of that. And on a human skull, those particular openings uh, usually don't exist. But on the elongated heads, there's more of these openings uh, to nourish the tissue on the face of the elongated skull people. It's completely different. And just squeezing someone's head on a board isn't going to create more uh, openings in the bottom of the skull where you can't get to it. And plus, if you if you were trying to move the foramen magnum to the back of the head, uh, both doctors said you would kill the patient. Because then you would be clamping off uh, the life-sustaining force between the spinal column and the, all of the nerve endings and all of that. You'd be pinching that, and 
the person would die. So that's that's the latest thing, which I think proves without a shadow of doubt that this these uh, people were are it's this is a genetic situation. They're hybrids uh, of some sort, and what we're trying to do now, our next move is to try to to get. Um, nuclear DNA. Right now we can only pull mitochondria DNA because of the age of the skulls. Uh, the nuclear D DNA is too degraded to pull it in a genetics lab. So we would need a, a whole lot more bone tissue in order to, to do that. So what we're trying to find is people that might have in their family uh, a, a skull like a, that has been brought up from Peru uh, and there are people that have them. <laughs> I'm really amazed. I mean, one of the largest skulls we've seen was in Oregon, and it was brought up back in the 30s by a guy who was really interested in this. He bought it and took it home. In those days, you could do stuff like that. Well, now it, you can't do that. So uh, if there's anybody out there, uh, by the sound of my voice, that own one of these things and wouldn't mind uh, letting us do uh, sampling, DNA sampling, or selling it to, to Marzuli so we can send the whole thing up to the lab, we might actually be able to pull um, uh, nuclear DNA from it because we would have more of a sample to work with. So that's where we are right now, Leah. Well, I tell you what, there's never a dull moment in Richard Shaw's life, is there, Richard? <laughs> Yeah, people say I'm pretty weird, <laughs> but uh, it's just, this has been my life the past seven years of all, all this really intriguing kind of scientific stuff. Well, it's definitely not boring, and uh, you're helping to bring out a lot of facts that uh, can be dealt with and uh, can be looked at. And, and it kind of proves scripture as well. Listen, people, uh, Richard Shaw's going to be back with us on other topics. You can go to his Pinlight uh, website. You can watch videos. You can order things. And if there's anything else you don't see or don't know, you can contact us here at ATM World News. would be more than happy. We really enjoy having Rick on our team. Uh, Rick, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, uh, Leah. Thank you very much. I uh, hope people can get something out of all of this rambling. And um, uh, if you look at, at the best of watchers, it'll give you a nice overview of of the whole 14-hour series in two hours and 23 minutes, which is a little easier to, you know, you could do it in an evening with a cup of tea or something. I actually did do it with an organic cup of tea. I, <laughs> when I well, watched, good for you. I appreciate that. I watched the whole thing through with organic tea. It was wonderful. But uh, listen, definitely <laughs> Rick will be back. Thanks for being with us. And until next time, I'm Leah reminding you, that God loves you. See you soon.